Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. The thing that we're drawn to that we need is often what others need. And I really learned that living with my herd of horses and from the horses, they signal to each other, like one of them will go over to get a drink and the other ones are like, oh, that's a good idea. And they all go get a drink and because they want to stay together and close enough in proximity is part of their needs. But they suggest needs based on each individual taking perfect care of themselves. So when I take care of myself and I give myself something that I need and invite someone to come along with me, or I just go do it by example, I may help someone else learn about their needs. And so you going to the trail and telling people about it and telling people what it gives you or me working with my horses and talking about that and inviting people to come do that with me, it, it's, I'm doing it because I need it. I'm, I'm doing it. That's how I live. I do the things that I need. And then other people learn about their needs that way. And that's actually how multi-generational learning works. It's less about I'm the teacher of, or, you know, it's less of a one-up, one-down relationship as much as it feels good to do things in connection and community. And if I take care of myself, you're gonna learn about yourself through how I take care of myself. Hello friends, welcome to the Live Boldly podcast with Sarah Shelton Kranz. This is an inspiring podcast for those seeking proven ways of healing, growing, and transcending their lives. I am a legendary leader in healing, acclaimed author, keynote, and TEDx speaker, a mom, an adventurer, and a believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, every other week I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from hand-picked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. I think the one that sticks with me the most is when we were leaving, we had, we had crossed the bridge and you probably know where we were, but there was the part where we were kind of rounding a corner. So I was by myself. We were kind of all spread apart and I could, you could hear the water. It was really quiet. And like I said before, I struggled. And so I was really a lot of the time just concerned about, you know, am I going to be able to get out of the canyon? So I just remember that part just saying, I am going to do this. I can do this. I am going to do this. I, you are doing this. I'm worthy of doing this. So those things, just learning, the, you know, just the affirmations to say. So I think that was just, that was my moment. Yeah. I can really just being able to be my, by myself and just kind of taking it all in. And like I said before, this trip is really for everyone. We were all like all different levels. I was just kind of new for all of this was new for me. And to be honest, it's not really the my first reason for going on the trip. It was just really, I wanted to hike the Grand Canyon. So didn't really even, you know, think of the other part, which really has changed my whole life. 
Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Live Boldly with Sarah Schultenkranz. Today I have on Beth Ann Standig, a lifelong cowgirl, writer, university faculty member, and licensed psychotherapist. Beth has 25 years of experience developing, implementing, and training people in natural leadership, a model that she pioneered. Now, she was brought to my attention by a dear friend who was listening to her on another podcast, and she sent me a text message and said, hey, listen to this podcast episode, and maybe you want to try and get her on. And so I immediately started listening, sent a message to my team, said, we have got to get Beth into our podcast, if at all possible, because, you know, obviously I love nature. Obviously that is our jam space. We do nature over here all of the time, nature healing. Uh, into our heart, our soul, our mind, our body. This is a little different because I love having the conversation with her about leadership, natural leadership, using Mustangs uh, and what we see in the wild and how we are a metaphor for that, a mirror for that within our own life. Where are we a leader within our own existence for self and also with others in connection to community, family, friendship, whatever it is. And I would suggest, please go grab your journal, take this outside, listen to it. You will have so many notes by the end of this conversation because it was really deep, it was powerful, it was meaningful, and those are the best conversations to have, right? So there you go, and the best to listen to. Before I dive in with Beth, I wanna remind you that we have a lot of retreats coming up. Well, actually, we only have three Grand Canyon retreats left. So if you are interested in any of these, get into them. We have Thanksgiving of this year and then two in uh, January of 2023. There are co-ed as well as all women retreats. Uh, If you are interested, go into my website, take a look, sarahschultecrans.com. And with that also, this month, I'm going to share a little bit about what we're doing this month. I leave on Thursday for the Grand Canyon. What a group I am guiding. It is so exciting to be doing this work with them. And then I'm heading to the San Juan Mountains with Florence Williams to do a deep dive with Oh gosh, I think there's 13 women, uh, all about forest bathing, nature healing, coaching, energy healing, Reiki. It's, it's going to be out of this world. And it's up in Telluride in this beautiful cabin high up in the mountains with no cell service, which I love. Uh, so, and then at the end of the month, we are taking a group up to Alaska. And this retreat's a little different. It is filled up, but I do want to share it with you. Uh, for future retreats that we will be doing, we are gonna be kayaking into this fjord that's been shut down for a couple of years now, and it's finally opened back up to the public. We are going to be camping and kayaking for four nights, five days, with glaciers surrounding us. Some hanging glaciers, some uh, not, mountains everywhere. Um, It is gonna be a really bold, very, very bold awe and wonder Uh, I call it like a wow moment, right? And so, and a lot of peace moments. We will have a lot of very deep, peaceful moments. Coaching, meditation, Reiki healing, uh, nature healing, kayaking, adventuring, hiking, a little bit of hiking up to waterfalls. And so if you are interested in any of these, because by the way, I do expect a lot of crossover collaboration retreats with uh, some of my dear friends and mentors that I have been meeting um, through this journey that will be coming up. And so don't miss out. Go into my newsletter, sarahschultenkranz.com backslash sign up, sign up. I believe that's what it is, sign dash up. And so, uh, or just go into sarahschultenkranz.com and you will 
uh, be able to take a look at all of the um, re all of the retreats that we have coming up. You'll be able to sign up for the newsletter. There's a lot of freebies in there. There's so much good stuff in there. Free meditations, free all sorts of things. So go take a look, sign up for the newsletter, stay in touch, and it's the best way that we can get you into one of these amazing experiences. I always say that if you really want to change your life, dive into an experience that scares you a little bit, makes you go, holy moly, this is where I am, and shows you what you are capable of. So there you go. Um, if you are interested in the Grand Canyon, either this Thanksgiving or the one of them in January, please send me an email, sarah at sarahsheltycrans.com, or go into my website and schedule a discovery call with me, and let's see if it's the right fit for you. All right, so let's dive in with Beth. Beth is changing the way organizations, leaders, and individuals use their power. Natural leadership helps people awaken their innate awareness so they can live and work with more authentic relationships and connection. Beth owns Take a Chance Ranch in Morgan Hill, California, providing leadership, culture, and well-being programs through the Circle Up experience. Together with an ever-changing menagerie, I guess that's how you say this, of animals, Beth works with human herds on-site and online. She's trained thousands of leaders and teams from some of the most renowned corporations, universities, and nonprofits. Beth's first perspective and work integrating basic animal practices into everyday human life have been featured in global media, including BBC World Service, PBS, and Forbes. She is a frequent podcast guest. Thank you for being here, Beth. Contributing writer for Moms Rising and an advisor and content creator, for Kahila, a base camp for women on the rise. You need to go grab your journals. If you have not gotten her book yet, if you have not listened to it, it's The Human Herd, Awakening Our Natural Leadership, published just this last year in 2021. And uh, do me a favor and send us a message and let us know what you think about this episode. Let me know what pops up for you, what is awakening your own heart and soul. Share it on your social media, please. Tag me, tag Beth, and let's keep this ripple of amazingness moving through. Because remember, if my dear friend had not reached out to me and said, hey, you've got to listen to Beth and get her on, you would not be here listening to her either. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode and have a great rest of your day. Beth Ann Stantig, thank you for being on the Live Boldly podcast. You were brought to me by my dear friend, Stephanie, who I've been friends with for 40 years. Wow. wow. No, almost. It's been like late, uh, 30 something years. Yeah. It's a long time. I can't believe I just said yes, that. Yes, it is. It's a long time. She is a horse lover. And she said to me, she sent me this message and she said, you have to listen to this podcast episode. And then I said, I messaged her and I said, okay, well, she's coming on. This is so exciting. So oh, welcome to our that. podcast. Yes. Thank okay. you. Thank so you. I want to start with, there's so much here. We're going to be talking. So everybody grab your journals because this conversation is going to get deep. Uh, you are a truth teller, which I loved. You mentioned that in one of your podcasts that you said, the disruptor is also the truth teller or the truth teller is like the, it becomes the disruptor. We're going to be talking about that. I want to talk about the relational system within the family unit and how we maneuver through that. I do want to talk about horses and uh, equine therapy a little bit and how animals, uh, how we also within the systems that they are in, because we are mammals. And then we're going to talk about ease. And mm. so this conversation is going to maneuver through as it always does. And it's really going to be good because 
I've been excited about this one. So Me too. Me thank you for too. being here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the truth teller because you and I have a lot in common with this. <laughs> the first thing I have to say about truth tellers is that I think that in mammal groups, certain individuals that are born into mammal groups that are particularly good at awareness, they notice the details of things, they notice change and their their role in the group is to notice and let others know what's what they see. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge survival asset for a group to have keen awareness providers. And I know I came into the world as that. That's just a temperamental gift, um, a leadership gift, if you will. Um, I had no training in how to take care of it. And if it's not valued in the group (laughs) or those in the group are not going to like what you tell them you see, it starts to become a real problem. And so that was definitely, you know, I was telling the truth about what I saw, what I noticed, what I was aware of. Yeah. From a young age, it sounds like. Very young age. I, yeah, I remember, you know, a, a huge sensitivity to what, you know, to noticing things. And I could go into, you know, a new environment and notice all of the things that were different and, um, and it's, you know, it made me a great writer and poet and um, good at being a therapist. And I mean, it's really worked well for me in certain areas, but in a system that's committed to secrets and not wanting to change and not wanting to look at things that, you know, that need development or um, not, you know, for people that don't want to look at themselves my kind of people are uh, difficult to have around. Yeah. Yeah. So how is it that being the truth teller, how does it shift within the family system or how does that shift the family system? How does that affect it? Um, well, I, I think a, a lot of times what happens when it's a child is um, the truth will come out through symptoms rather than like an overt telling of what's happening on a more like systemic level, because it's usually a a child doesn't have the psychological sophistication to be able to give a whole picture of what's going on. And so that child um, will end up with like, with, like I said, symptoms and then be identified as the problem. Mm. And so that's certainly, you know, I, it, it, the system that I grew up in, there were, um, there were other disruptions going on and they, there were problems, but it, my sensitivity and symptoms of anxiety and, you know, depression and worry and, you know, being kind of difficult, like being an obstructionist, like I don't want to do this or kind of getting in the way of things moving. That was kind of, that's how I disrupted the flow of, we can't keep going like this because Beth and her sensitivity is in the way. And so that's what it looked like. My, my behavior was telling the truth, but I don't think I had the sophistication to be able to tell the whole truth of what was going on in the system until much later. Is that how you got into this work? No, no, <laughs> it isn't at all. Um, in fact, I got into this work. Um, my first career was as a writer, as a poet and teaching um, undergrad and graduate students 
creative writing and poetry. And I ran a literary art center and um, was in like the university setting. And, um, and I was, I was still in a process of kind of running from myself a bit. And I actually got into this work as I I think it was like my last attempt to not have to deal with myself. It was like, well, I'm going to be the truth teller about you. And I am going to like help others with their systems, but I'm not, it's like one more way of not having to deal with myself. Which what was going on within yourself that you were not wanting to deal with? You know, I was, um, I had been, I had been working on myself in therapy for a long time. Like I had definitely been, um, I'd been in, in, in a pretty controlled way. Like I was doing as much as I could that I could tolerate. And, um, but there were parts of myself and parts of, of the way that I was living that I did not, that I, I can see now that I didn't go near. And some of that had to do with avoiding my own trauma. Like I, I could talk about it in a certain way, but I was not, you know, one of the things around PTSD and treatment around it that's really tricky is that PTSD itself tr- keeps you from wanting to go near treatment. Like right. symptoms, the avoidance of the trauma keeps you from wanting to go near the thing that will help you get through it. So I was kind of skirting around and like rim running, I guess, you know, kind of like um, just keeping a safe distance from depth work with myself. And I was also in this very long-term abusive relationship with alcohol (laughs) and other substances. And so I had had this ongoing journey of trying to drink like a normal person and fail at it over and over and over again. And, and I don't, I was really not ready to look at that. And it took a while before I was. And so it was like, I just, I was, I was hiding from myself. I mean, I, I found these ways of, you know, I'm going to write about life. I'm going to help others with life. I'm going to do all these different things, but not go inward and go all the way inward to where I really need to go to be able to sit with myself and heal. Okay. So this is something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. And what was the tipping point? What was the trigger that finally made you say, I need to take care of me. Um, you know, there were it's like there were so many rock bottoms that I, you know, saw these moments that were that that would I, I would start to come out of denial and into reality around that. Um, and then kind of step back from it. But there were a couple of things that started to happen. I had started getting some feedback as I was already a therapist, the man who's now my ex-husband got sober Mm. and he got sober before I did. And when that happened, I started noticing the ways that I wanted to drink, but I then couldn't the way that I wanted to, because the person living in my house was sober. And that was the first time in my life that I had this kind of self-consciousness around my own drinking. And around that same time, you know, I was a therapist. And so I had this pressure to function like a professional adult who helps others. 
So that had me in a little bit of a corner around my own running from myself. I was surrounded by people who were deeply introspective and believed in personal growth. And I, so there was some pressure coming from that, you know, from that angle. I had gotten married and I was at that age of like, if you're going to have children, now's the time. So there was a little bit coming from, from there, a little bit of pressure there. And then I started getting this feedback from some friends and colleagues that it happened like within maybe a year period where people started telling me that they loved me. They loved being around me, but they didn't feel like they could get close to me. Oh, and I like I wouldn't let them in. I they couldn't really know me. And when I they first started hearing that, I was like baffled. I'm like, you know, one person said to me, "Do you have any friends?" And I was like, "What? What? <sighs> like, like you should see how many friends I have." Like, <laughs> and she was like, "No, no. Like, do you have any real friends that you let in?" Wow. And um. And it's just, I love the way life works because it, it's like all these pieces start to come into place. Like these, there's all this, like these exquisite moments, right? And and then these people come in and start asking these questions at just the right time. And then they go and there's like a little spaciousness and you sit with it and it's like a marinade. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what yeah. happened. And so, and then the final piece was just one more stupid barbecue where I drank too much wine and I just had this like, you know, three o'clock in the morning laying on the bathroom floor. Like, you know, how long are you going to keep doing this? You're never going to be able to become a mother if you are drinking like this. And I didn't even know I wanted to be a mom at that time. And I'm like, why am I even having this thought? And, um, I'm like, and then the next thought was like, you can't keep running from yourself. Like you're just running from yourself. And there had been like a couple of those kind of like just these moments with myself or with like higher self or higher power, whatever you want to call it, where I, I, there, they were like these triggering aha awakening rock bottom moments that were just that where I, I kind of cracked open and, um, and so that that was the beginning of that process. That was in 2008. And the year before that, I had done um, I had done some intensive EMDR work, mm. which is um, a, a really powerful, very well researched um, trauma treatment. And um, and I that work was. Per, was per, it profoundly changed me. And I'm so glad I did that because I don't know if I would have been able to do, I would have been able to feel safe enough to crack open without it. Yeah. I think it's so interesting how many of us run from the things mm-hmm. that we really are intended to heal from and to learn from and to grow from. Like all of our traumas, all of the difficulties that we've lived through, our family systems, everything. We're in the space to learn, to grow, to heal, and to become better humans. And then I feel also to take it to that space of thriving and really becoming, uh, using that as, as a mission in some way within your lifetime. If it's just helping somebody across the street, becoming a better human, being kind, whatever it is. And it's so fascinating to me how many people run from it because it's oh, also yeah. the biggest gift 
when we actually sit with it and learn from it and become who we were meant to, intended to, when we were placed on this earth. Oh, that's so beautiful. You know, I was riding with this um, horseman who was like around the same time, I think. And it was, he said something about like, it, it was about horses learning to cope. Like they're these prey animals, right? They're, they live in the world as herbivores that are like hunted by predatory animals and they allow us humans as predators to get on their back and ride them. And then they, uh, they allow us to lead them into all these circumstances that are very stimulating and activating and cause all kinds of, you know, um, survival mechanisms within them. And they learn to cope with that and not run. And I remember him saying something about that and, and thinking, well, if my horses can tolerate like the things that I do with them, like I've taken them into the ocean and crossed these bridges. And, but you've like, taken your own, um, whoa, you've taken your horses into the ocean. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I take my horses to do all kinds of adventures and, and yeah, I mean that like, uh, and they, okay. and they allow, they allow uh, this. Right. And they, yeah, like, we got to so, talk after that. I, I would love to do that. But they they cope. They learn to cope, and they learn to cope in a trusting partnership with a uh-huh. human. And and I and I remember him saying that, and then thinking, so if they can learn to cope, and I now know this, I can't unknow this. That's really what this is about. Like the journey is about learning to cope and not run, learning to stay. And it doesn't mean stay and go into like a helpless, numb, frozen state. Right. That that is not it. Cause that, right. that's the other thing I did was like, oh, right. I'm not running, but I was shut down inside. Right. But you're also not dealing. Not living. <laughs> you're yeah. not living. You're yeah. Just and so existing. Yeah. So it's like finding that place where you stay and you're you stay put and you're not running, but you're coping with what is. And I was like, okay, that's the magic. And if they know, if they can do it, then I can too. And that became like a really, it has stayed an inspiration for me. If my animals can do this and they trust me to do that, I I can do this. Right. So you were talking about your Mustang before we started this conversation. And I was listening to a podcast about your Mustang and how you had spent all this money to put this, huge, <laughs> you tell the story. And I was laughing because I was like, yeah, isn't it interesting how we learn quickly about certain things? <laughs> so was you, it about the money I spent to build the pen uh-huh. for her? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then you opened it. You opened and, and you realized, wait a second, you weren't meant for that. Yeah. The, you know, the, the Bureau of Land Management, um, is it's part of the government. And they, if you, if you adopt a Mustang from them, you have to, um, prove that you have uh, an enclosure for them and it needs to be a certain square footage and it needs to be six feet tall of certain material because the horses will climb out of, they're able to climb out, not like a domestic horse. These are untouched wild horses that have come right off of their wild herds. And um, so I built that, this structure, this like very elaborate structure for this horse that I was bringing home. And um, she never once tried to climb out of the pen, 
but I learned pretty quickly that I, I think that if you're going to put a lot of human pressure on the horse, they're going to climb. They probably, she probably would have climbed out right. of the pen, but that I decided not to approach the relationship like that. And so, I, yeah, I also realized that people said that you need to keep the horses separate from your other horses because they won't bond with you. They'll bond with the other horses. And they said that you shouldn't let them loose out of the enclosure until their halter broke. So you can actually like catch them and put a halter on them because you'll, you won't be able to catch them and get a handle on them. And, um, none of those things ended up being true in my experience. And, you know, I only done it once. And so I, it's not, I can't say from like a scientific point of view that, you know, that this is tested, but I did notice that some of the myths were, I, I really started to look at, well, how much, did do these rules have to do with keeping animals controlled in a way so that humans can act exactly the way they want to without sensitivity to the animal's needs. Mm. And so one of the things I learned really early on from the Mustang was that I thought that she was going to be scared of me, but actually she's scared of nothing. And what I start, what I learned as soon as I met her, especially once I got her to my ranch was that she was going to be teaching me about self-preservation. Oh, and so I was really scared of her. (laughs) And so it completely flipped the story. It was like day one. I was like, oh, this is a completely different experience than I thought it was going to be. This is a wild animal and I have no idea what I'm doing. Wow. So what did you, what have you learned from her, especially when it comes to self-preservation? Well, you know, she lived for four years out in the wild and she was in Northeastern Nevada. Yeah. Four years out in the wild and then you brought her in. Yeah. Well, I didn't bring her in. Well, no, you the Bureau of Land Management and yeah, yeah, they brought her in in a traumatic way. Yeah. Yeah. In a pretty traumatic way with helicopters and they separate the, yeah, they separate the horses from their, you know, those herds are multi-generational families and they separate, they, they tear them apart and then they go to these, you know, processing um, ranches where they brand them and um, vaccinate them. And then some of them get adopted out, but there's 50,000 of them in holding. They're like in internment camps. Wow. A lot of controversy about on both sides around whether we should be doing that or should not be doing that. And um, so I I got her and um, she'd been, you know, living with her herd. And um, the area where she's from is high elevation. We, we know a lot, a lot about the herds because both from the the government and the activists study right. these herds. So they know all well, I can about these. Only herds. imagine this is all new territory for me. Yeah, all of this, I can only imagine. So they they live with predators. And, um, and that herd, it, they have that herd that is their survival system is being in that herd. And so, um, her ability to take care of herself is, was pristine and there was no learned helplessness at all. And it came through in her presence Mm -hmm. and a domesticated horse will shut down or leave, but a Mustang will come right at you and you could feel it. 
you could feel it in her presence. Like, and, and I was like, well, you know what? This is not going to be a good relationship to start a fight in. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to not do that here. Like, and, um, but I understood why the stories of like, don't let them loose and try to control that versus, you know, the tendency is to try to overpower that because it's scary. Yeah. And that's what we do when we're in fear. We try to control things. Right. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to do the opposite of that, which is completely let go and see what happens. And I'm going to let her lead. Yep. And so that that's where our relationship started. Fascinating. So you literally surrendered to her and had her lead the dance. Yeah. It was about, I need to understand your needs and I really don't. And you're going to be really good at telling them to me. And guess what? I think that's my lesson too, which is I have really been disconnected from my needs and I need to be like radically committed to that. I need to learn how to never let that happen in my life again. And so that's, I'm like, I'm going to study with you and learn how to take care of myself. So that's exactly what one of the things that my dear friend, Stephanie, has been learning from her horse is relationships and her, her internal relationship with self and how when she is in the presence of her horse, that her horse feels that internal relationship and that struggle if she's struggling from within. Yeah. And it's she and she's told me stories where I'm like, dang, isn't that fascinating that the internal relationship that you are having with yourself, if it's not healthy, yeah, that that horse completely picks up on it immediately. Yeah. They tell us the truth about ourselves when we're still hiding the truth about ourselves from ourselves. So that's why, you know, as a truth teller, I could only be as truthful as I could with myself. And like so much of where I was blocked and not moving forward in my life were the ways that I was struggling to be honest with myself. And it wasn't that I didn't want to, it's just, you can only see what you can see. And so one of the things the animals have always given me has been that honesty because they always take care of themselves. Yeah. Whereas humans, we negotiate and bargain with taking care of ourselves in this really ridiculous way. And we just, we perpetuate it generation after generation of ignoring our own needs. And, you know, to the point that we're really out of touch with our own signal system. So, but the animals pick up on that and it feels very off to them. It, something feels, they're sensitive to predatory energy which is when someone is one way, but they act another. So incongruence is there is what they pick up on. And so when you're incongruent, they don't know what to do with that. They're like, that feels like an animal hunting where you're like, they get sneaky. They're, they sneak around and they're like, I'm not hunting you, but they, they are. And so when we act one way, but feel another, that's what they sense and they they pick up on it and experience it as pressure. And so they respond to it and they signal to us that something's off. So we have a term when we're on the trail, mm-hmm. you know, I've hiked the John Muir trail for 22 days. I've done a lot of long distance things and we have a term and we have a, a thing that we say, and it's the trail will give us what we need. And 
what you're talking about is how it is for us when we are in alignment with our trail, our trail in life. I use it as a metaphor for life as well. It's when we are in alignment, when we're not forcing, when we're not pushing, when life or the trail isn't feeling overpowered or isn't feeling pressure, things feel really good. Yeah. Everything unfolds as it's meant to. Yeah. But when we're in that space of force or yeah. in that space of trying to fix what perhaps even isn't even uh, ready to be fixed or mm-hmm. not taking care of what needs to be taken care of, you will always receive what you need. Because Beautiful. to me, that's that mirror, right? That's why I go on the trail for 22 days. That's why I go on the trail for nine days, however long it is. Because for me, it's a mirror. It's a reflection of what I'm also needing in life. That's why I love this work. Which so is the me- trail. The trail gives you an opportunity to be with the mammal part of you. You become the horse on the trail. You don't need a horse on the trail. I'm going to cry. Yes, 100%. And so in my work, one of the things that drives me a little crazy about, about the, the animals is that everybody thinks they're unicorns and they're magic. <laughs> and it makes me like want to peel my skin off. I'm like, no, you are missing the message entirely. <laughs> they are not unicorns. They are mammals. And so yeah. are you. And there's yeah. nothing magical about them. You have this in you. Yeah. And so when you, Sarah, go to the trail, you become that. And that's why you're called to go out there because you are connected to all of that. And then the question is, how do we stay in connection with that, which is connection to our own needs, others, what's happening around us, that awakeness, when we're living our busy chatty (laughs) language focused lives and we get into our head, we lose that. We lose that mammal. And then we long for it. Yeah. And and yet it's right there. Never left. Um you totally this is why I wanted to have this conversation because you are speaking my words in a very uh a very beautiful way. It's, 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 it's something that, and that's why when I'm guiding on the trail, when I'm with my clients, when we're doing the deep work in the Canyon, when we're doing the deep work in nature and they come back and they're like, I feel different. I feel alive again. I feel there's something there. And I always hear from them too. How do I not lose this? This is one of the things that they ask me, how do I not lose this? And what you're speaking of is exactly, it's exactly that because you are going home to who you are, which is also the mammal state. It is. And it's, it's about shutting the phones off. It's about doing it again. It's about repetition. It's about going back out onto the trail, whatever that trail is for you yeah. and allowing yourself to be that mirror and going back home to who you are day in and day out. Even if it's five minutes, go outside, sit yeah. in the grass and allow yourself to be. Yeah. It is. It's um, like you seriously have me in tears. <laughs> oh, not, you have me in tears because of your tears. I, I think that, that um, it's, it's one of the, the things that, uh, that brings me to tears about it when I like around this subject is the heartache 
and heartbreak of like, how did we get to this point that we're so far away from our, from this, this nature, like this true self of the part of us that's able to feel awake and alive and in awe every day, maybe not all day, but every day, like how did we get so far away from this and to be able to experience that with others? Like, how is it that our relationships have gotten so transactional that we're not having these moments that touch and move us? And if I don't let a day go by without that in my life, I don't either. That is my life. Like all the other stuff, like, of course I have to do adult tasks and go to the grocery store and like handle finances, but I, I am not going to let a day go by where that ends up becoming so dominant that I don't get this other piece of being alive. And that is the animal part. It's the part that is just in a state of ease, which is like, we talked about that a little bit before we started today, that it is in a state of ease, but it's in a state of connection to needs and it's in a commitment around balance and it's in of just being able to be. And um, I... I, I am a little heartbroken sometimes when I think about how far away for, we are from that in so, so many of our, our lives, like how our cultures have gotten so far away from that. And it's not all cultures. No, nope. it's, it's not all cultures. I will say that <clears throat> since I quote accidentally got into this work because it was an accident, <laughs> it was, I, I wrote about it today in my newsletter I, uh, I was sitting on my paddleboard out in the Pacific ocean and I was talking to a dear friend. I was, I'm 48 now. Uh, and I was about 41 ish. I was coming out of my own major trauma and that was my low, that was my second biggest, um, uh, just groundbreaking moment of what am I going to do in life? And the ocean became my space. And I was paddling with whales and dolphins and they were my horses. Yeah. (laughs) And I was sitting with a friend and he said, well, what's next? And I said, I, it's going to sound crazy, but I want to start taking people on the trail. And that is how this business was born was from that one moment of saying, okay. And I, it was funny. He said to me, and for those of you that are stuck quote with, uh, doing the steep work, right. Or are like afraid of it or whatever it is. He said to me, well, what's holding you back? He asked me, what's holding you back? And I said, well, I don't know what, how to do it. And he said, you just go do it. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I mean, you just go do it. And he said, just take a step, just go do it. One what do step. Need? What do you, what do you need? And I said, I, I don't really know, but I mean, I think I need this and I think I need that. And then he started asking me the questions that got me into, oh, this is what I want to do. And so here I am and where you're bringing something to me with this also is when you're saying it's, it's heartbreaking and it is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for me too, to watch people Mm -hmm. be disconnected from their, from their mammal self and to be disconnected from their emotions and their feelings and kudos to you. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for being brave enough to put your story out there because it's also stories like yours Florence Williams just wrote the heart, the book heartbreak. Do you know her work? No. Oh my gosh. We got to connect because I'm doing a retreat with her next uh, in July. And in same thing with her, she's all about nature healing and going Mm -hmm. back home to who you are. And I think it's, I know, like, I know, like I know 
that it's it's people like us who mm-hmm. are also doing the work and sharing it with the world that's going to untether us from the things that are also hurting us, which is the consistency of technology and not going back home to who we are. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm 48 also. Ah, look at that. <laughs> yeah. What's your birthday? August 4th. I'm a Leo. I'm January 28th. Congratulations. <laughs> we're going to be right there with each other pretty soon. Yeah. It's so exciting. It's so, ex- I think it's exciting. That's my dog, by the way, who's saying, yes, mom, you're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sorry that, it's interesting that. what you noticed about like on the paddleboard and wanting to take people in onto the trail like that, that the thing that we're drawn to that we need is often what others need. And I really learned that living with my herd of horses and from the horses, they signal to each other. Like one of them will go over to get a drink and the other ones are like, Oh, that's a good idea. And they all go get a drink and cause they want to stay together and close enough in proximity is part of their needs, but they suggest needs based on, each individual taking perfect care of themselves. So when I take care of myself and I give myself something that I need and invite someone to come along with me, or I just go do it by example, I may help someone else learn about their needs. And so you going to the trail and telling people about it and telling people what it gives you or me working with my horses and talking about that and inviting people to come do that with me it it's i'm doing it cuz i need it i'm i'm doing it that's how i live i do the things that i need and then other people learn about their needs that way right. and that's actually how multigenerational learning works it's less about i'm the teacher of or you know it's less of a one up one down relationship as much as it feels good to do things in connection and community. And if I take care of myself, you're going to learn about yourself through how I take care of myself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about this space of ease for a little bit. Can we dive a little bit more deeply into that? Yes. Uh, So when I mentioned the EMDR work and the trauma work that I did back in 2007, um, I had so much dis-ease in my body at that time um, that, I mean, I had full-blown anxiety. Um, I had underlying PTSD that I didn't really know was that. And I was a licensed therapist, mind you. (laughs) Um, I'm human. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I had untreated alcoholism. Um, But I also had these this, these phenomenons that were like, I cut like tags in my clothes and certain fabrics and socks and textures and sounds. And like, it was very easy for things like that, like that could become like irritants. Like yeah. my system was so inflamed that, and I, and I went from just this like over-functioning, over-productive, trying to prove myself to like flat out exhausted Mm. and somewhere in between feeling like itchy and scratchy and irritable. (laughs) And that, that's that's pretty much, (laughs) 
that's how I was living. Um, and, and so things like traffic or things being late or, you know, like the unexpected things that are like also known as life were really hard for me because I was already in these like that, but that was kind of, that was my state of being. Gosh. And I would go do things with my animals and like, I know that I would drop into another state, but I don't think that I could really like another biological neurological state, but I don't think that I could have named what it was. Right. And as I started de- de- like detangling and getting a lot of support or I'm on a nervous system level, I started to realize like the first thing I realized was I took a shower and I felt the water for the first time in a totally new way. And I was like, I think this is the first shower of my life. Wow. And that was the beginning of like, oh, so like when your nervous system starts to settle, really settle, you can feel things differently. Right. And over the years, like as I continued smoothing that out, I, I really like would notice when I was in certain situations where I actually was like feeling ease, my thoughts, my emotions, my body, like my nervous system, everything just felt like it was in the, it was just a calm lake and it wasn't asleep, but it, and it wasn't turbulent. It was like calm alert is what I call it. So it's, um, and then when I, I started hanging out, um, like I really, I gravitated to being out with my herd and spending time out there with them in the pasture. They, they have freedom to go where they want. And so all the gates are open and they graze and move in, in this very calm, alert state of ease all day. And I was drawn to be out there with them and I'd call it pasture time or grazing. And I would just go out there with them. And I, I noticed that those periods where I, or those moments that I would have like that shower or, you know, these like little moments when I was out with the horses, it was like a big immersion into this state of ease. And then something in the environment would change and the herd would kind of mobilize to respond to it. And then they'd go back to ease and they were really efficient at it. And I was like, what is happening? Like, how do they, what is it that happens here? And how how do I do this? Right. So it's like, something's needed. I'm going to attend to that need. And then, and it does take a little bit of pressure to respond to it. But then I go back to this state of ease and that has become my classroom. And So I try to, I I pay attention to things like pressure and pace and feel within me and around me to see where am I wasting energy that's outside of that zone of ease where I don't need to be? Like, what can I drop around? Like, what is it in my body? Is it a thinking pattern? Is it something emotionally where I'm holding pressure that's keeping me away from ease? And what can I do immediately? Not tomorrow or not like in a yoga retreat in September, but right in this moment, like the self-care is on that level. Like, what do I need to do right now to get back to ease? So I love this because this is something that I've actually been working on a lot this year. 
because in order to step into a higher leadership role of any kind, you also mm-hmm. have got to figure out how to conserve the energy. Yes. And this is a beautiful way of doing that. And funny enough, my shower right before this, that's what I was thinking about because I had something happen this morning. And I was like, hmm, not liking having to put my energy into this space. What can I do to stop that from happening? Because my energy, when it is in flow, that's when you have the abundance of everything, happiness, uh, you know, the, the, the clientele, the community, the, just everything, everything flows so beautifully in that space. And, and it, it is, is moving. And so, it is moving. Yeah, it is yeah. movement. And I think that's where we get confused because we think, well, things are moving and I don't want to stop them, but they're moving in a state of stress versus right. movement in a state of ease. So if you watch the horses and hang out with them and go at their pace and, and like in that state of grazing, what that looks like is if you hang out and do it long enough, you'll realize you cover a ton of ground because mm-hmm. they're foraging for food. So they're, they're moving all the time, which is like, it's just a different pace yeah. and a different intent. And they're moving together, which is really beautiful. And they are responding to what's going on within and around, but it's just with conserving energy. And we are so bad at this as human animals. We, we waste so much energy yeah. in states of angst internally. And then also in these really, I, I, and again, like back to that video where I was watching myself with the Mustang where I'm like, why am I moving so fast? Like what's right. the, I think, and I drop things and I run into stuff and I'm clumsier and I'm like, why do I do this? What is, where did I learn how to do this? And, you know, I, I think this efficiency productivity culture that many of us were raised in, it, it does just completely rob us of joy and, and awe, like we were talking about, but it also robs us of ease. And that's actually you know, that's our longevity and survival is going to come from, from ease. Okay. So I'm going to equate this to pods of dolphins because yeah. that's what I do. Okay, good. Good. I love that. Whales yeah. Whales. yeah. Okay. The whales. Uh, when you think about pods of dolphins in their natural habitat, they're in community. Yes. Most of the time they're in community. They work really well in community. That's where they feel connection. And it's also for them about the play. So they are always, well, I don't want to say always, but most of the time when I'm witnessing them, they're actually, yeah, they always are. They're always in play. Even when they're foraging, even when they're feeding, they're in play. And, you know, when I'm out there and, and I, and I sit there and I watch them and I'm just in awe of them and I laugh and they invite me into the play, right? Even through their play, they're inviting me into it. And I had this happen a couple of days ago when I was out there paddling in and I had three, maybe four dolphins that were literally bringing me into the, in. oh yeah, this is like, I'm telling like you. Like underneath you're your take, board? You, you're going to take me on a horse in the ocean and I'm going to take you on a paddleboard in the ocean. Okay. So that's, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, I just paddleboarded for the first time in my life in December and fell in love with it. And then I got to do it again in February and I'm not a big water person. And so for me to decide I really love a water sport is 
a well, miracle. I'll take you. Yeah. <laughs> I went on on a horse for the first time in years with my one of, with Stephanie just recently. A couple of years ago, I went on with her and I was like, this is amazing. I haven't done this in, like since I was a kid. Yeah. I get why you guys love this. Um, but yeah, I literally had like four dolphins, three, four dolphins that were guiding me into the shore. Wow. And um, and they were literally inviting me. It was like they were right in front of my board. Uh, playing underneath as they were guiding me in. And I think it's such a beautiful testament to also how we as humans really need to start uh, approaching life, like have play with it. And if you think about dolphins too, they're riding waves. Why do you think they're riding waves? Because it's also the energy of the wave that's guiding them in. And so it's just a fascinating thing when we can sit with our, with, with animals and witness how they are in community, how they are living, and then use that as a mirror for how we really aren't always living and why. And what we need. And what we need. What we need. It always goes back to needs. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest lesson, I think, with the animals is they're doing what they need in order to survive and thrive. And so how can they teach us more about our own needs? Because that's, we've gotten too far away from our own needs both our own individual needs and how to need each other. Yeah. So can I touch, I know we're going to be going a little bit over time here, but can I just, cause I love yeah. this. Okay. You have the four questions of natural leadership awareness. And so can we just run through them quick and everybody grab your journals and start writing these down because that is so good. Um, when I was, I was telling you that when I was listening to your podcast and you asked, I said, I was taking notes and you asked me, you said, well, do you, how do you take them? And I was literally like stopped at, at this point, writing these down into my phone because they're so good. Oh, so go through <laughs> okay. So the, the question came from my, my dear mentor who has passed away, Jim Maddock. He taught me to ask what's happening right now, Mm -hmm. which is this meta question that allows us to get into it just a little bit of space from being reactive. So it, it takes us from reactive to responsive. And sometimes people say like, well, yeah, but it takes you out of the moment or like, you, you know, it take you're like not living in the moment. But I found that it actually allows me to be more in relationship with the moment to be, I'm just not being swept up by it. So it's like the different, I'm, I'm going to use a water metaphor and hopefully not screw it up, but like, it's the difference between getting kind of thrashed around in the waves, but like learning how to swim with them. Yes. And so I think that, um, and the same thing is true with a horse. Like you, anyone can sit on a horse, but learning how to ride a horse is different. Okay. And so, so I was just going to say, sorry, not to interrupt you, yeah. interrupt you. That's exactly why when people say to me, how do you take your phone out onto the board and not fall in? The reason why is because I tell them it's about being one with the wave. It's about being one with the ocean. You're not fighting it. Yeah. You're literally in flow with it. Absolutely. And the same thing is true with the horse. And one of the ways that we don't fall off horses is using these awareness channels. And so, <laughs> and the go. way that horses, the way that mammal groups exist and it's again this is around needs is that they take Jim's question that he taught me I then took that into the herd and really just sat with that question and wondered if they had a question like what would their question like what are they what are they doing in awareness that allows them to exist like this 
so well that it feels so good to be with. Mm. So I broke it up into these four questions. So each individual is asking what's happening within me right now that I am needing. So like if you're asking that question, then you can attend to your needs. If you're not asking that question, then you, you can't attend to your needs. So part our self-care at the root of it all is being able to ask that question all day, every day. What's inside of me right now? Whole self. The second channel is happening with you. And it's our empathy system that allows us to take care of others, but it also signals what I might need. So like if I notice that you're, something's going on with you, I, it, it might mean that the herd is needing something. Mm. And so part of our empathy is around care of others, but it is also around self-preservation and herd or group preservation. The third is relational, which is what's going on between us. So what do we need to adjust to, for there to continue to be a relational feel between us that has ease so that we are able to take care of our own needs and take care of each other and balance that out at the same time? And we're always having to adjust that zone or that channel. And that's where we negotiate needs. And so, the, and that piece is how we remain a group. And then the fourth one is what's going on around us that affects that all of the other three. And so what's happening in our environment, and that can be macro level, like politically, or it can be micro, which is like the wind just started, or, you know, it's the temperature changed or it started raining or it's dinner time. You know, it could be something very um, close to home. So those are the four awareness channels that a mammal group is attending to, whether they're conscious of it, I don't get to say that's not, you know, I don't say they are or they aren't. I don't know, but they are absolutely committed to those awareness channels all of the time. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating when I was reading that and well, when I have your book, obviously, uh, but when I was also listening to it, I was like, okay, I totally get that. It's, it's a really good, um, it's, it's a good flow. It's a good, it's a, it's a really good, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, way to actually uh, take a more internal look to self as well. Into- I mean, it's a method, like it's actually yeah. a tool you can use. And yeah. I imagine because you've done a lot of outdoor experiences with others, yeah. This when I teach these or work with groups that are um, more physically oriented, like first responders, um, groups yeah. of surgeons, um, military groups, like that are that, where they do things physically you kind of have to be in those channels in order to function together as a group and you're more connected to survival. And so these are survival-based awareness channels. And the reason why we're trying to apply them to contemporary life is because we're not connected to our survival enough. And so when we get into that mammal self, that mammal self is asking us, hey, could you please think about your survival a bit here? Because like, the mammal in, in me, the animal in you is not happy with how you're conducting yourself. You need to get up and move or you need joy. You need play. You need water. Um, any of the things that our mammals trying to tell us. It's so good. You know, you and I could like have a conversation for hours. You realize I know. I know we've, we've gone over our time. We have gone over our time and I, and I appreciate 
this extra time with you because um, we're going to be talking after this. There's like, it's so interesting to me when I have conversations with people and then I'm I, like little notes come into or downloads come in and I'm like, oh, I got to connect her with this person and we got to connect with that person and we got to do this. And, you know, cause it's just, um, it's fun having conversations with people that get it, you know? Definitely. And yeah, and we're we, talking about the same it. We are. We <laughs> yeah. are talking about the same it and we're sharing it with the people that need to hear it. And so I appreciate you being here and being a part of this. I'm going to uh, call it a movement of yes, really, it is. it is, it's, it's it a is. movement of going home to who we are, our own natural selves, which is a beautiful space to be in. And the part of you that wants to share this and the truth teller or the disruptor in you, that's yes. actually the activist yes. in a movement is it's, you know, your it's activism, for, you know, our species and it, it has a very inspired me. And especially when it has the right it has enough freedom and resources to be able to do all that it wants to do. It doesn't have to be so disruptive as it is just activist. You know, like there's all kinds of like we can protest or we can like offer solutions. And I mean, there's lots of different movement around movements or activism. And so it's really cool to be able to play in all those different spaces. Yeah. Well, I'm thrilled to be playing beside you. So, Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any last words that you would like, like to leave with anybody? And then also, could you please share where everyone can find you? I think that there's something that you touched on a little bit ago about, um, you know, what is it that keeps us from, you know, from being honest with ourselves or doing, you know, kind of getting into more truth about what we need and that, you know, you and I both share stories of our own struggle with that and people, you know, are, are struggling to to move forward or, or keep something going within themselves after they've experienced some waking up. And I guess I just want to share that it it was never not scary. And um, I think sometimes like people will listen to me or read about my work or my story, and it seems like there's a lot of courage and and you know it's like that or that I'm okay, like that I'm so settled with myself and I am, but I still have to face fear and my own insecurities and my own processes, just like everyone else. And I think sometimes I, it's just as sort of a message of, of hope for people that, you know, it's never not scary. It's just really hard work being a human. And, um, I think that's probably my, my, you know, my most important message from, from, from that piece, just that. Yeah. I appreciate that because I had recently, well, and I have this quite often people will say, well, you just got it all together. I just, right. had, I just had somebody say that to me this week, actually, it was like, or this last week, you just have it all together. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you think so. <laughs> I know whenever I hear that, I think, oh, it's time for me to share more openly about my messy process then, because I obviously <laughs> haven't done that recently enough. So let me tell you about yesterday. And right, right. Because it, and it isn't about things being easy. It's about learning how to cope and yeah. to get back to ease more quickly. But it doesn't mean that it isn't, it doesn't have its own ups and downs and that I don't have a process. I've just, pra- I'm just practiced at it. And sometimes it, yeah. I mean, it, it's, I just, it, I think that's 
yeah, that, that myth that people have it so easy is, um, I think it keeps people from trying to, to move forward in their own lives. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not always easy. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I told somebody, I said, it's like climbing new mountains consistently. It's, 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 you, you start to learn how, what the tools are and how to take the steps it's a different mountain and you know, it doesn't doesn't make it easy. It just makes it a new adventure. And so it's also how you approach it. Oh yeah. That's, that's, I love that metaphor. That's a great, that's perfect. Yeah. Views are always different. Views are always different. Why not plummeting them? Yep. So where can we find you? Besides on a horse in the ocean. (laughs) Besides on a horse in the ocean. <laughs> um, you'd be surprised how easy it is to go do that. Like literally load them in the trailer and go to the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I I said that I haven't I haven't like mentioned going to the beach with the horses in so long. I don't I maybe because I knew you were a water person yeah. that reference came to yeah. me. So um you can find me on my website, um, the circleupexperience.com. And then my book, The Human Herd, is at bookstores everywhere. So you can order it um, or find it at whatever bookstores you like to shop at. It's so good, too. I'm oh, not thank you. It yet. I'm reading it, and it's so good. Oh, my god! Thank gosh. you. I look forward to all of the cool stuff that's going to happen because I... I totally dig you. And this is going to be a fun, oh, I know. another I fun relationship. We've to got have. some adventures to have, I think. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Thank you for being on. I Thank really appreciate you. it. Thank you so much. My friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so grateful to have you here. I'd love to invite you over to sarahschultingkranz.com to receive five free meditations recorded by me or download your free guide on how nature is your perfect healing therapy. My site has many free resources to guide you on your life journey, many that I used myself while on my road from victim to survivor. And also, please, I ask that you share my podcast with those who may need inspiration, information, or who may need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review and subscribe. Go find it on other platforms such as Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please also go to my Instagram or Facebook page. Leave a message in my comments and tell me what you think of this episode. Please share in your stories and tag me. I'd love to reshare and celebrate your healing journey. I love hearing from each one of you. Let's keep the ripple going. It begins with each one of us. I love you. And as I always say, I believe in you, us, always. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.